I preached this lectionary cycle for the first time as a new preacher in one of my very first assignments. I was 27 years old with a new Master of Divinity degree under my arm and a vehement excitement about the kingdom of God. I guess I preached it pretty directly because at the end of the service, an older gentleman who was always dressed very debonairly with his hair perfectly slicked back pointed to the parking lot where his brand new powder blue convertible sat and he laughingly said, I suppose you think I should sell that, give the money to the poor and come back next week in some old jalopy, huh? <laughs> I smiled and with all the moxie of a brand newly minted pastor said, why not? His guffawing turned into a grimace and awkward chuckle as he shuffled out the door of the sanctuary into the narthex. The next Sunday, he pulled up with that convertible and a brand new suit. This is how most of us respond to these texts with discomfort and awkward laughter as we drive off into the sunset. We tend to take these stories as one-dimensional. So we tend to look at them, well, if Jesus encouraged the rich young ruler to sell everything, then we need to. Or, alternatively, well, we're not rich, so this doesn't apply to us at all. Both polarities miss the mark, as polarities typically do. See, most of us don't consider ourselves rich. After all, we are not the 1% holding the most wealth and more wealth than 99% of the rest of the world. We're not in a league of Bill Gates or Steve Jobs or Warren Buffett. But by the world's standards, we really are rich. If we have clean underwear or socks on right now, if we have eaten at all today, if we have access to clean water where we live, we are considered rich by global standards. This scripture is both a prophetic counterpoint to institutional and systemic injustice that somehow allows and encourages these huge and deadly discrepancies of wealth, power, and resources in our world. And it is also an invitation to all of us to let go of what enslaves us and embrace the way of Jesus. The Amos text is an important key as we look at the ways that we are captive to the world. Amos speaks in this message to the house of Joseph about their treatment of the poor and their negligence in helping their neighbor. It is not very often that we see the house of Joseph called out in the biblical canon. Most often we hear the terminology, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? So this little difference is something to pay attention to. Joseph, if you recall, was one of the sons of Jacob. He was the youngest and favorite son. He had the famous colored coat of many colors, right, that his, that his father gave him to seal the deal as the favorite son. And his, it made his brothers so, so angry and so jealous jealous that they took sibling rivalry to a whole nother level and they plotted to fake his death and have him sold into slavery. They did this, covering his beautiful coat in blood 
and concocting a tragic story to tell their father. Joseph was sold into slavery and he ended up becoming a personal slave to, to the Pharaoh at the time. And he worked his way up in the household through his loyalty, his intelligence, and his ability to interpret dreams. Because of his position of power that he had with this Pharaoh who trusted him very much, Joseph was crucial to the survival of not only the folk that enslaved him, but of his own family. Because if you remember, God gave Joseph dreams of warnings of a coming famine. So he was able to, for years before the famine, um, arrange to, to keep food aside, to save up for that time when they were going to be without food so that people would have their lives spared during a very difficult time in history. When his brothers came to him during that famine, starving and needing help and having no idea who he was, by the way, in an amazing demonstration of grace and mercy, Joseph helped them, forgave them, embraced them. But this mercy and forgiveness had an unforeseen underbelly. As Joseph and his brothers and their families became more and more comfortable in the land of Egypt, they actually enslaved themselves and their descendants. In their comfort, they stayed in Egypt past the time of the famine. They relinquished their property and their belongings so that they could continue to enjoy their standard of living. They gave up their freedoms one by one by one. They became so entrenched that when the good Pharaoh died and in his place came a bad Pharaoh, the friends and families of Joseph went from being protected and cared for to enslaved and dehumanized. And they didn't have a thing to say about it. They were so entrenched. So for Amos to warn folk who were a part of the house of Joseph in our Old Testament text, it was to actually remind people of what it looks like when comfort leads to slavery. What Jesus spoke into that young man in our gospel was not a diss of anyone who is rich all the time, but a challenge to let go of the things that keep ourselves and others in bondage. Most of us enjoy comfortable lives. Could we also be enslaved? Could we also have sunk into bondage through the temptations of comfort? And could we, in that slavery to comfort, be oppressing others, or at the very least failing to do the good that we are able for others who are in need? This scripture is not as much about what we own as about what owns us. What is it in our lives that we choose over pursuing justice, mercy, and service? What is it that if we were asked to give up to follow Jesus, we too would walk dejectedly away, chuckling awkwardly to cover for our conviction? What has such a powerful grip on our lives that it causes us to ignore the humanity in our neighbors, in our enemies? To truly follow Jesus is to honor the reflection of God in everyone and everything we encountered. It would be to recognize the audacity of putting anything over the healing of the world. 
And this world is on loan to us from our grandchildren and great-grandchildren, right? How ridiculous to think of something like ownership. How can we, who are mortal beings and we're all going to die, own anything? We can't take it with us. What we are is stewards. We have stewardship of some things while we are on this earth. We are responsible for the healing of the world. We are responsible for being good stewards of that which we have been given. We are responsible for these things to be stewards. There are all kinds of ways that we choose incremental enslavement over the healing of the world where we choose to use up and gobble up what we have been given as stewards and act like it only belongs to us. There are countless ways that we do this, as many ways as there are diverse and different personalities. What's your poison? I don't know if you are rich or not, and I could care less if you sold your powder blue convertible to give money to the poor but I do care about what enslaves you. I do pray that the Spirit of God would convict your heart about the comforts that keep you quiet, keep you from walking, rocking the boat, keep you from your own healing, keep you from seeing the image of God in disturbing disguise, keeps you from the freedom that is yours in Christ. Rick Hoker writes, it's not just that God dwells inside of you. But God is at the center of your spiritual makeup, an integral and enduring part of who you are. God is not added to you, but you are added to God. God is the foundation onto which your soul is built. Everyone you meet is also a God particle wrapped in a soul. What an incredible revelation. God is everywhere and in everyone, already, always with us. And Jesus with that young man who was also a, a God particle wrapped in a soul. When he challenged that young man looking at him and loving him, he did not send him packing without the promise of God inside of him. Yes, that young man went away dejected because he felt at that moment that he could not give up the things that he needed to to follow God. But that was not the last of his story. It's a cliffhanger in the gospel. But the story of that young man and God's grace continued. There is always hope for all of us. Jesus invites us this morning, regardless of how many times we've walked dejectedly away thinking, no, can't give that up to have another chance to let go of the things that have gotten in the way of the healing of our own souls and the world. To let go of how we define ourselves, our best laid plans, our possessions, our futures, to let it all go into the amazing flow of God's love. Letting go of what we thought we knew to appreciate truths we had never dreamed of and entrusting our life to God and watching as we are set free from our bondage and embraced into eternal life 
that starts right now in the endless possibilities of God's love. Amen.